You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. <coughs> Pardon me. Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Today we're going to be looking at uh, several sections of Scripture and we're going to be looking at the I am statements that are found there. And we'll find today that we have an awful lot of them to look at. We have the ones you think of, of Jesus and John. Jesus saying that uh, I am the vine and I am the door and I am the light of the world and I am the resurrection and uh, those statements. But what we find is that those statements are not in isolation. They're part of a greater uh, uh, continuity of such statements from the very beginning. And nor are they the final statements of such even from Jesus himself. And so today we want to look at some of these statements of of I am in the scriptures. And recognizing this is but a, a survey of these things. And I know sometimes survey means I've got too much stuff I'm going to go real fast. But uh, today, survey means we're going to look briefly at a lot of material. And some of this you'll have to look in your bulletin uh, for all of the, uh, for the references. Uh, but what we'll find is, is there are going to be I am statements from the beginning. As there are seven I am statements of Jesus and John, there are seven I am statements of God in the book of Genesis. In the book of Psalms, In the songbook, we're going to find an awful lot of I am statements, but of a different character and of a different speaker and not of solution, as most of these I am statements are, but statements that identify the problem. Then the famous ones from John, and then a corresponding set of them in the book of Revelation. Let's go to Genesis first. In in Genesis, what we find is when God spoke to Abraham, and called him and told him to follow to the land that God would show. God said, if you do that, I'm going to take good care of you. And so we have things like first uh, uh, off uh, Genesis 15 and verse 1. It said, and after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And so here was Abram, a stranger in a strange land. Here a man without family, without relations. Here's a man without connection and kin. Here's a man who had had to uh, go temporarily down to Egypt to sojourn and then come back. But God says, don't worry. If you follow me, and as you follow me, I'm going to be a shield to you. What we find is that Abraham has about a century then of faithful life. He becomes one of the most wealthy men in the world. He gets his heir, and he gets repeated promises to God from God. And so everything worked out because, as God says, I am a shield for you. And also a little bit later, down in verse 7 of the same chapter, God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land. So I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. The Harry uses his personal name, and our Bibles give us Lord, not giving the personal name of God as Tradition has been for a very, very long time. And so I am Jehovah, and I am your shield, and I am God Almighty, 
It's interesting to note all the different names of God. We have Yahweh here. We have Adonai. We have some of the many names of God, of which there's about 25 or so in all. With you, you look at every little subdivision, but about 10 or 12 main ones. But here he says, I am God Almighty. Chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I'll establish my covenant with between me and you. I'll multiply you exceedingly. Abraham walked and God provided because he was God Almighty. And then into the next generation, in chapter 26, the Lord appeared and the Lord said to him uh, in uh, Genesis 26, 24, to Isaac, he says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear. I'll bless you. I'll multiply you for the sake of my servant, Abraham. And so to Isaac, I'm the God of Abraham. And guess what he says to Jacob? I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. And so to Jacob, a little bit later, God says, he says to him uh, when he met him there uh, at the ladder, as he was uh, at Bethel on his way out, uh, he came to realize that God was in that place. He called it a house of God. But in that dream, there was the ladder which was set on earth and up reaching to the top was heaven. Behold, the angels of God were descending and ascending. And Jehovah the Lord stood on it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I'll give to you and your descendants. So I'm the God of Abraham. To Abraham, he said, I'm God. To Isaac, he said, I'm the God of Abraham. To Jacob, he says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then a little bit later when Jacob was coming back to the land after fleeing from Laban's house. God appears to him and said, hey, it's me again. I'm the God that was at Bethel. So I'm the God of Bethel. Genesis 31, 13. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and you made a vow to me. Now rise and leave this land and return to the land of your birth. And so go back there. I'm the God there. Of course, he's the God everywhere. But he said, I'm the God that met you there. We had a conversation. And then at the end, he says to Jacob, it's not just that I'm the God of your ancestors. He said, I am your God. I am God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid. And so go. And so what we find is I'm the God who's the shield. I'm the God who's almighty. Jehovah is my name. And he looked after generations of this family. And of course, we really see the culmination of this in the next book, Moses in the burning bush, what does Moses find out? It's the God, as we famously know, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, as God was their God, we see that this is, in all these things, this is the foundation for the Jewish nation. This is the surety that they had as they grew. To Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. To all of them, I'll give you many descendants. Finally, with Jacob, we start to see the many descendants, but oh, what a crew it was. But they grew. And they went down to Egypt, and God was still their shield. And though it was difficult for them, and as compared to a furnace, still they grew. And in all these things, uh, as it's written down in the book of Genesis, the people can look back and see that God had a plan all along. And so it's interesting that uh, the things of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the things written by Moses, were written hundreds of years later. Because Moses comes at the end of the captivity 
where these are the things that were prior to the captivity uh, and at the very beginning of it. And so these people stand in relation to these things in the same way we stand in relation to the things of the gospel. Uh, They're the stories that are passed down. Uh, They were the things that happened aforetime of which God, our Father, in times past had made great promises. And then Moses writes them all down in, uh, in the Pentateuch in the first five books. And for many people, it would have been the correct version, maybe an enhanced version, maybe, it, maybe uh, well, some of this family lore got dropped off because it wasn't quite right. But Moses gives them the official version. He gives them God's version. He gives them the authorized version, if we might say. Moses tells them, as he writes these things down, of God's dealings with their ancestors some five, six, seven, eight hundred years ago. Actually, if you go back before the time of Abraham, all the way back to the beginning of the creation of God. But these things were written, it would say about things in the New Testament, not for their sake, but for ours. And so as Moses first wrote this down for the Jews of his time, it was written down not for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's benefit, because they knew it, they were there. They'd heard those words. But it's written for their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and on, so they might have the same surety. So Romans 15, 4, whatever's written in earlier times is written for our instruction. So that per- through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so for us, everything in the Bible is a long after account and it was from things long ago. But these Jews stood in the same place in relation to those promises as we do to the promises of Christ that we now know through an accurate record of inspiration what actually occurred so that we know just as these who received those promises directly, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they could depend on them, so could their descendants, and now so can we. As we sing in the song, standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. And so the first set of the I am statements is these promises of who God is and what God will do with his people. Then after they leave Egypt and uh, Moses directs them out and they had that little 40-year detour in the wilderness, Joshua leading them to the promised land, living for a time under the judges and with the direction of the priest at the tabernacle, and then under the various kings, Uh, that led them, and the prophets who directed them, uh, we find a new set of divine literature. Uh, We find the book of Psalms, and in it, we find an entirely different kind of I am statement. And we have many of these. These are not all of them by far. We have some of them that we'll put up, but we have a longer list in the bulletin, either the electronic copy or the paper copy, whichever you wish uh, to refer to. But what we find is an emphasis on the difficult realities of faithfulness in a a world of ungodliness where troubles press, where bad circumstance and evil men come after and make it difficult for the people of God in this world. And so we get such I am statements as, I am weak. Actually, we sing that one ourselves, right? I am weak, but thou art strong. We have... I am weary with my sighing. I am shaken. I'm a worm 
and not a man. I am a man of constant sorrow. That's our summary. Why do such songs appeal to us? I've seen trouble all my days. Why do such songs appeal to us? Why? Why? Because there's something there that it strikes a chord. There's something there of a resonance. Uh, there's something there that connects that connects to us. I am desolate and afflicted. Now for the rest of these, you will have to go to your bulletin. I am forgotten as a dead man. I'm like a broken vessel. I'm in trouble. I'm bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. I am feeble and severely broken. I am ready to fall. I am poor and needy. I am restless in my complaint. I am weary in my crying. I am full of heaviness. I am poor and sorrowful. I'm a stranger from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. I'm full of heaviness. I'm poor and sorrowful. I'm so sorrowful that I cannot speak. I am counted as those who go to the pit. And I'm like the man who has no strength. I'm distraught. I'm as a sparrow alone on a housetop. I'm withered like grass. I'm a stranger in the earth. I'm small and despised. I'm brought low. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this world below. No, sorry, that's not the words of inspiration. That's another one of our bards who gave us those words a long time ago. Actually, so far back, we don't know who wrote that. But things like, I'm a man of constant sorrow and I'm a poor wayfaring stranger. These things strike the same chord as the Psalms. They speak to us in our alienation. They speak to us in our attempts to be devoted to God. And it gets really difficult. It tells us of a world where we need help. Where we need a lot of help. And so it's a realistic assessment of where we are. Uh, maybe more so than any book other than the Lamentations. The Psalms address where we so often are. Besieged, beset, trying to serve God in a hostile world. The Psalms reveal this inner dialogue that we often have with ourselves. And things we wouldn't just go say. You wouldn't go say to your friend, you know, you know, I, I've had trouble forever. It just seems like I've had nothing but problems. But we'll sing in the country song and strike up the banjo. You know, I'm a man of constant sorrow. We'll sing that and wail it out to the top of our lungs. But we wouldn't admit the same thing if it weren't in psalm. Or in song. So it is with the psalms. There are things admitted here that we wouldn't say otherwise. And it recognizes what we really need. And what we see in these I am statements of the psalms is we see men needing grace. It says in the New Testament, it says, but God gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And so you think, how can these men, and we'll just look at the ones here again on the board, how can the ones who are weak and weary and shaken and I'm just a worm and I'm desolate and afflicted, how could these guys conquer anything? How could they overcome the lightest of things? Well, they can by grace because God is opposed to the proud. These statements of the Psalms, these aren't the statements of the proud, are they? They're the statements of those relying on God. 
And where is the victory? It's always in relying on God. And so, as it says in the New Testament, God gives greater grace. The greater grace we find is always in Christ. The greater grace is a Christian grace. The greater grace is given in the blessings that are found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now we come to the most famous of the I am statements where we find the greater grace, where we find that which will sustain us when we are broken and we do have troubles and sorrows. We find he will sustain us because he is the bread of life. John six thirty three, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives light to the world. And they said, Lord, always give us this bread. And he said, I'm that bread. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling and saying, he says, I'm the bread of life that came out of heaven. Come on. What is this craziness? He said, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me lest the father draws him to me or draws me to him. And I will raise him up on the last day. As it's written in the prophets, they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He's seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that came down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forevermore. And the bread also which I give you uh, for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus explains it and doubles down on it. I'm the bread of life. I am the living bread. I'm the bread from heaven. A little bit later, he'll say more succinctly, but to the same effect, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so for those of the Psalms who were in such a precarious state and predicament, poor and full of sorrow, full of heaviness, so troubled they couldn't speak, distraught, withered up like grass, well, here's your sustenance. Here's your guidance. Here is the way. Jesus is the door. I'm the door to the sheep. John 10, verse 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not hear them. I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. And we'll go in and go out and find pasture. The thieves come only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And so I'm the door. I'm the way for the sheep. I'm the way to get in and out of the fold of God. I'm the way. He'll say that more directly in a moment. He'll also say, though, before he leaves this imagery of sheep, he'll say, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's not the hired hand, but he's the shepherd. He's uh, not the one who flees when the wolf comes. The wolf comes when they're cared for by the hireling, by the hired hand. The wolf snatches them. The wolf scatters them. He flees because he's a hired man, not concerned for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And so He is the way. And He is the provision. He is, as He would say in a graveyard, He said, I'm the resurrection and life. 
When Lazarus died, Jesus was met in the cemetery by his faithful sisters. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And they go, no, of course he will. That's what all believers have always said. I know he'll, raise, he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus doesn't say, just hey, yeah, you're right, there's a resurrection. He says, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Imagine saying that in a cemetery. The audacity of it. But then he raises Lazarus and he proves that I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone who, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I have believed that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And so I'm the resurrection and the life. You want to know about the resurrection? I'm it. I'm the resurrection of life. And by the way, in, in this we have a figure of speech, which sometimes we literalize. Uh, but we see it here, and we'll see it in a number of places, where there are two things given, but really it's only trying to convey one concept. It's a figure of speech called a hen diadis. A hen is the Greek word for one, dia, which is through, and dus, which is two. It's the same beginning as the word didymus for twin. It's a, it's a, it's a, a one thing in two. And so when it says resurrection and life, it's not talking about two separate things. The life is one thing and resurrection is something else. It's the resurrection of life. It's the living resurrection. It's the resurrection to life. It's one concept. Uh, that's being taught, even though it's being expressed in two words. It's sort of like when we ask the, uh, somebody, uh, are they good and ready to go? We're not asking are they good and are they ready, but good and ready mean one thing. Uh, it's sort of like uh, Peter, again, in Acts uh, 3, when he's asked for money, he said, silver and gold have I none. I, I know silver and gold are two separate things, but when he says it like that, silver and gold, he means I don't have any money. And so we have things like that. It's like people go after something, hammer and tongs. Well, we just mean they go after it energetically. So it is here, resurrection and life. It's, it's, it's one concept. It's one concept. Uh, it's the resurrection of life, the living resurrection. We have a three-in-one, actually, in the next one, famously. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I realize I've done this myself. Oh, I have my outline. Jesus is the way. We'll talk about the way. Jesus is the, uh, the truth. We'll talk about the truth. And Jesus is the life. And we'll talk about Jesus' life. Now, now, yes, he's all those things. But in this case, it's talking about one thing. It's talking about the way of true life. It's talking about the way of truth in life. Jesus is the only way of true life. And so the, he's one thing here. When they ask him, uh, G Jesus says, I'm going back to the Father. And the disciples, Thomas says particularly, he says, Lord, where are you going? We don't know the way. He says, oh, you know me. I'm the way. I'm the way I'm, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so it's not three things Jesus is saying. He's saying one thing. I'm the true and living way. I am that only right way that gets you to a life. And so uh, the way, the truth, and the life. Another one of the famous statements, uh, the seventh in John, is that I am the true vine. Uh, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch that's in me and doesn't bear much fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so it'll bear more fruit. And so Jesus says, you must abide in me if you're going to do anything. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them, they cast them into the fire to be burned. But since I am the vine, 
If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so here, we said while it goes, we read the Psalms. What do we say about all that sorrow? What do we say about all that despair? What do we say about all of that longing? Well, we were in need of grace. We said in the gospel, we found greater grace. What is it exactly and explicitly that we find in Jesus? We find that great grace. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testified about him and cried out and said, This is the one of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, and he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized in Jesus Christ. And so what do we find in the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John? We find grace and truth. We find he is full of grace and truth. He is grace and truth fully realized. It is, as it says there in verse 16, grace upon grace. And so if we look at the I am statement so far, what do we have had? We've had the foundational sureties of the things of which it's all based on beginning from Abraham. We have found the travail that we find in trying to serve God in this world, especially try to do it without Jesus, do it under the law. But even with Jesus, we find ourselves so often saying things like some of the Psalms. So we find ourselves in need of great grace. And we find now in Jesus, we find the greater grace. Yet there's still one more section of I am statements. And that's in the book of Revelation. Just like if we ask you, where would you find the Beatitudes? You know those statements that say, blessed are this and blessed are that? You probably know the first one, blessed are the poor or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Where would you find the Beatitudes? You would find the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. You'd find the, Sermon, you'd find the Beatitudes in the Gospels. Do you know there's seven more Beatitudes in the book of Revelation? There are seven more blessed R's in the book of Revelation. It's almost like it's put there to wrap up the whole thing. Well, just as there are more Beatitudes in the book of Revelation, there are more I am statements in the book of Revelation as well. What we find is some repeated assurance. In the book of Revelation, the I am's that are given are more repeated than in the other books. Uh, We have, uh, and these are, I'm going to take them as basically equivalent. I know it's slightly different form. But we have these three statements that appear several times. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. And I'm the first and the last. I I take all those as being equivalent statements. We find them in chapter 1. In verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God. Who was, who is, who is to come. The Almighty. Sounds a lot like what we had in the other I am statements from God. And in verse 17. Don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. And at the end of the book, chapter 21, verse 6. Then he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without cost. And finally, at the very end of the book, chapter 22, verse 13, I'm the Alpha and Omega, 
the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so in a lot of ways, it, it, the book of God in Revelation ends where the book of God started in the book of Genesis. As a matter of fact, the farther you go into the book of Revelation, the farther back you go into Genesis. Where's the whole thing end? Where does the whole book of Revelation end? In the garden of God with the tree of life. And people are directly in the presence of God. How far back into Genesis do you have to go to find the same thing? Before the sin of chapter 3. And so the beginning and the end. The book, one continuous unit with the beginning and end. And the, the end wraps back to the beginning. And so it is is because God is over all, in all, and through all. Because he is, he was, and he is to come. Because God is the first and the last and the beginning and the end. This book had but one author. And this world has but one destiny. That God is over all of it and through all of it. And he can do all this because, as he says, I'm the living one and I'm alive forevermore. Again, I'm, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. And the living one, chapter 1, verse 18. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. I've got the keys of death in Hades. You want to know who's in charge of death? It's me. I got the keys right here. People always act like the devil's in charge of anything. The devil don't have the keys. He's behind the locked door. That's his station in life. The devil's not even in charge of hell. He's the first prisoner. He's the one most locked up. Now, the one with the keys, the one with the power, the one who lives forever and never goes away, the one who's always in charge, that's Jesus, just as he always was. He is, as all the prophecies said, of David. I am the root and offspring of David. Uh, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things. I am the root and descendant, the root and the offspring of David. I'm the one that the prophecies have been talking about for 1,500 years. It's me. I'm here. I'm here to fulfill it all. And by the way, in case you need any light, in case you need any guidance, in case you need any illumination on the point, I'm the bright and morning star. And so, I'm the center of this. I'm the origin of this. I'm the organizer of this. I, I'm the one who is leading this tour here, people. I'm your guide on this journey. And so if we want to know about origin and destiny, here is the one who is our bright hope because he's the one who's laid out the path. He's the one who's shown us the way. And it's especially telling that we have in the book of Revelation these repeated assurances and really in the book of Revelation in what is the most political book of the New Testament. It's about worldly empires. It's about some false religion that's marshaled to support the, the earthly power of that evil empire. It's about how Christians must resist it and Christians will overcome when they do. It's one of the two persecution books in the New Testament, First Peter being the other. There's an assurance that, yes, there'll be some hardship, but through the suffering is that other thing that's in Revelation and so prominent, the thrice-repeated promise, I'm coming quickly. I'm going to set it right. We start reading there and we'll conclude with Revelation 22 and we'll read verses 12 to 17. The end of our revelation from God. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what has been done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral people and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I'm the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Someone's in charge. It's him. It's not that oppressive government that these uh, brethren were facing. It's Jesus who sets it right, who has from the origin, from the beginning, had the eternal destiny in mind. And he asked us to go along with him on the ride, go along with him on the walk of faith and trust in him and join in in inviting others. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take of the water of life without cost. And so in our different sections of I am statements, the foundational sureties, the experience of troubles, the need of great grace, the giving of, of, of greater grace, and then ending with the repeated assurances of the Lord in charge, the one who is in control of this world and all in it. To him we come, and we ask others to come with us. And so today, if you need to come to the invitation, now coming to confess Jesus, or if you need to come confessing your sin, you need to come or come back. We offer the invitations we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.